Welcome to another chapter podcast with your hosts, Claire and Rebecca. Of books, well, you've come to the right place. Join us as we discuss all things books. Welcome to chapter 10 of another chapter, the podcast. So, this is our February read along episode, which is the book Other Parents by Sarah Stovell. When picking our read-along books, we go in blind. Apart from what's stated in the blurb, we do not know anything about what the topics are within the book. There may be sensitive topics discussed throughout the course of the podcast, and we hope that the books we choose to read spark many a conversation, maybe not just between us, but between you and your friends and family members too. Both Rebecca and I can only speak from our own experiences and therefore will not be able to make personally informed statements on everything that arises. All we can offer are our honest opinions and those of our followers who have willingly engaged in discussion around these books. And we want to assure you that anything that's ever said will never come from a place of malice, nor would it ever be our intention to cause offence to anyone. When we set out to make a podcast, we wanted to ensure it was a safe and positive place. And we hope that this comes through to you all as you listen to what we have to say. So, Rebecca. Do you want to explain for anyone that's unfamiliar how our read-along episodes work? Perfect. So the way our episodes for the read-alongs have been working all along and will be is as follows. So firstly, we have a spoiler-free section, which is this one, where we tell you who chose the book, why we chose it, and we give a vague outline of what happens in the book. So the second section of the podcast will be separated with a brief little jingle, and after that, we will get into the details of the book. So this will be full of spoilers, So if you haven't read the book yet, then take this as your advance warning to stop listening when you get to that point, but you're safe until then. So the read-along, we are all reading the same book for the month, and this one was Other Parents. And at the end of the month, then we put up question boxes and polls on our Instagram, as well as opening up a group chat to anyone who is interested in joining so this month's book, who chose it? It was Claire. So do you want to tell us, Claire, why you chose Other Parents? Yeah, so this had popped up for me um, a couple of times on Borrowbox as a book that I might enjoy. And when we look for a read-along book, we tend to try and find something that um, has topical issues that would kind of spark a bit of conversation between people and this kind of looked like it would fit the bill so even on the very front cover they all have opinions they all have secrets um it was easy enough i think we both decided quite quickly that we'd go with it and that we were happy to to pick this based on what we were kind of reading yeah so before Before we head into the next section, we will read out the blurb at the back. So if you haven't read the book and you want to get an idea about whether this book is for you or not. Right. Um, In a small town like West Burntridge, it's impossible to keep a secret. Rachel Saunders knows gossip is the price you pay for a rural lifestyle and outstanding schools. The latest town scandal is her divorce and her new girlfriend. 
Laura Spence lives in a bedsit on the wrong side of town. She and her son Jake don't really belong and his violent tantrums are threatening to expose the very thing she's trying to hide. Hang on a second, is her son, her son called Max? Yeah. What, what did you say there? It said she and her son Jake. Huh? Don't really belong. I thought her son was called Max. He is called Max. How do they get... Yeah, dragging Max along the pavement like a poor exhausted puppy. The book is wrong. The back what? of the book is wrong. I'll, I'll have a look on Goodreads there. Okay. That's gas. I've never come across something like that before. Yeah, she and her son Jake don't really belong and his violent tantrums and thre- are threatening to expose the very thing she's trying to hide. How did I not spot that until now? Oh, the blurb on Goodreads is jake as well yeah i wonder is it that he was jake all along and then they realized that was too close like that was too similar to luke okay so it's meant to be max and for some reason it's jake anyway i'll keep going when the local school introduces an inclusive new curriculum J. Oh. <laughs> when the local school introduces an inclusive new curriculum <laughs> i that happened how was this after being printed <laughs> like that oh god Jake. Okay. right let's just move on now from this mind-blowing piece of information when the local school introduces an inclusive new curriculum rachel and laura find themselves on the opposite sides of a fearsome debate but when you have your nose in everyone else's business you can miss what is happening in your own home so that's the blurb at the back of the book the child's name is max yeah yeah, like, yeah, I think we're both a bit baffled about that. Um, yeah, like it does. The blurb is, it, it gives as much information as you can. But I suppose one thing is like, you know, you find out when you start reading it is there is more than two narrators, which I was a bit surprised yes. about because I assumed based off of the blurb that there was only going to be two. So that's not that it makes a difference really, but yeah. And the, yeah. the idea of five to follow along with can be quite overwhelming. Do you know, when I was reading it first and I was like, okay, we're on to a different person. We're on to a different person again. Oh, wait, it's another yeah. new person. I did feel a bit like, whoa, but it was a bit like love, actually. You kind of fell in and out with these characters and, you know, exactly, you followed them exactly. kind of and easily enough when you did land back in with them. Yeah, and it it definitely adds to the, the overall kind of speed of the book. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So usually then at this point, we kind of have a quick chat about whether we would recommend this book to someone who hasn't read it. And I suppose from my point of view, sometimes I think when you look too deeply into a book, it can affect your enjoyment of it overall. Um, So if you are looking for something that is quite dramatic, that has a range of characters, that has you know a lot of you know a bit of controversy going on in it and different types of people some very likable some very much not so likable then this is a book for you as you said Claire it's a very easy read um I found it a very quick read even though there's quite a lot of chapters in it it was something I kind of I flew through when I was reading it and the narration is done quite well and uh, we both listened to parts of it on audio as well so if, if that sounds like it's up your street, then absolutely go for it. Um, but if you are looking for a very in-depth look at certain issues, 
then maybe this isn't the book for you. Is that fair? A fair comment? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think it, yeah, it was nice. It was pacey. Um, it was, it it pulled you in in parts, but it would yeah. be, um, I'd say it would be good, a good summer read, you know, a good beach read. You'd be able to put it down and pick it up and, you know, you wouldn't miss it too much if you were gone for ages, you know, that you'd be able to fall right back into it when you, when you do open the pages again. And, and even with five different main characters, they're all so, so different yeah. that it's not, it's not confusing who's who or what each person's story is. You know, it's relatively easy to follow along with who, who is doing what and who is saying what. So we'll move on now to the second part of the episode, which is the spoiler filled section. So our lovely little jingle will follow and then you listen at your own risk. Okay, so Claire, what was the the general reaction to the book? We've kind of given our opinion on it, but mm. according to the people who interacted about the book and the group chat, what what was the general overall feeling? People seemed to enjoy it for what it was. Um, but I have two quotes here now that give just as you're saying, like a kind of a general reaction. Uh, one person said, went a bit flat at the end. Another person said, I found it an easy read, but didn't care much about what happened to anyone. I didn't think there was really much depth to it, even though there were some serious topics, grand-like, but quickly forgettable for me. And that's why I'd say it's kind of a a beach-type read as well. You will put it down and you might not ever think of these characters again, but while you're in it, it's, you know, it's it's enjoyable enough. I felt anyway. Recap. Yeah. So to recap who's who and what the general story is, we have five main characters and each chapter is from the point of view of one of those characters. So we have the two who are mentioned in the blurb, Laura, who is a single mother um, and is trying to navigate a very tough situation with her son, Max. We then have Rachel, who is on the other side of the debate. Um, Rachel's partner, Erin, is also one of the narrators and the two of them are obviously feeling a bit victimized about the fact that Laura and another woman are basically running a campaign against the school to stop it having an inclusive curriculum for the students. So they are three of our narrators. We have Rachel, her partner Erin and Laura. We have the principal of the school, Joe, who is actually one of Rachel's best friends and her neighbour. And then finally, we have Maya, who is Rachel's daughter, who is still in school. And I think she turns 16 as this book is going on. So it actually spans a reasonable amount of time. Now, we're not given an exact time frame, but it covers Maya turning 16 and... Um, like the the campaign against the curriculum going on um all the way down to the court case at the end um which Maya is involved in and that's one thing i didn't notice about the book that it didn't get us bogged down in details which is a good in a way like you could have whole weeks seem to pass or a week or many many days seem to pass between incidents But then at the same time, that seemed to be one of the downfalls as well, where incidents seemed to come to a head or come to a conclusion extremely quickly. 
without really any detail in between. So depending on what way you read it or how invested you were, I suppose, or interested you were, that could be a positive or a negative. So that's that's the general rundown. So the we discover lots of different things about the characters, uh, mainly Maya and Laura, um, as the story goes on. And one thing that surprised me about it was obviously we knew about the curriculum aspect of it and the, the inclusiveness and like that that was going to be a crux in the story, but I didn't expect the story to get as serious as what it did in relation to other things, specifically sexual assault on Maya. Like I did not see that coming and I'm not sure when you already have quite a serious topic, you know, homophobia and people being very cruel to other people. To, to have this in as well, it felt like a bit much, in a way. You know, it, it felt like there was a lot going on. Yeah, it was like one issue yeah. was overpowering the other. Yes, you know, yes, Overshadowing actually, yeah. the other. Um, it's, it kind of took, it took the focus away from what we had thought we were walking into. So we, you know, we thought that the, the topic of, you know, opposition to LGBTQIA plus education would be an interesting one to discuss. Um, and then it, it was kind of sideballed with Maya's storyline. And obviously, like, these things coexist in real life and everything. But I don't know if we really got to, to experience how the characters all genuinely felt given the weight of their storylines. Yes, that's a very good way to put it, actually. Yeah, they were very weighty storylines. And like we'll say, Laura, we discovered, you know, relatively early in the book that she is a sex worker. And that is what she is doing to try and keep herself and her son afloat. That's how she's bringing money in. And through the incident then where Max, not Jake, gets out of the house, that is where Aaron kind of crosses crosses paths with her so I mean I know that like there's there's things needing to happen in terms of storytelling and then there's how much is too much I suppose is a good question you know yeah like I think you could nearly write a whole book on leaving a child unsupervised at night time and the consequences of what could happen there exactly the repercussions of that yeah but then, like you said, Claire, these things do happen. Like people, especially with five different people, all have five very different lives, all have yeah. their own problems. Like the blur, like you know, the front of the book says they all have their own opinions, they all have their own secrets. So there is obviously a reason why Stovell chose five very different people to for us to get glimpses of their lives. Like we don't get to know any of them very in depth. Um, yeah. And, you know, in the group chat when we were talking about it, I was kind of trying to play devil's advocate when that kind of came up by saying, you know, for me, when I was trying to think about why that was, you know, the school setting was the whole schoolyard idea. Like, we don't really get to know people all that well. We get to know them on kind mm -hmm. of a surface level. We get to know bits and pieces about their lives. But unless it happens to be a best friend of yours, you know, it, you, you aren't going to know these people very well and you only see bits and pieces and kind of, I suppose, to a degree what they're willing to share with you or what they put out in public. Yeah. So I'm guessing that's where this whole, this aspect was coming from with the various narrators and kind of seeing bits and pieces of their lives, but nothing 
overly detailed. And some yeah. people quite enjoyed that as an overall story. And then other people would have liked to see more in detail, which is a fair enough thing to say. Absolutely. There's argument for both sides. And, you know, it's this is what makes it an interesting discussion because people didn't agree on everything either. You know, just even from that perspective, what would you have preferred a longer story just about Maya or about Rachel and yeah. people going, I actually really liked the, the paciness of the the multiple narrators in this. So Yeah, and actually interestingly like yeah. one of the questions we did ask on our stories was who was your favourite narrator? And of mm-hmm. the five, Joe was the favourite. So the school principal um was the favourite in general and then Erin and Maya were joint favourites after that. Uh, Rachel and Laura got relatively little. I really liked Joe. I think that she has a difficult position in society as a, a school principal and living within that community um, had a lot of challenges for her and even like being out in the supermarket having to think about like oh people could be judging me for putting a bottle of wine into my trolley you know like all of these things that she had to deal with and then her son on top of it all was just the icing on the cake and yeah yeah she was I I found her morally interesting if that would sit yes and what I found especially interesting about her was the fact that there was such a clear a clear emphasis put on her thoughts about situations versus what she was actually mm-hmm. able to say and what she did say in situations because of her role as yeah. the principal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I felt like she was the one for me that was most by her circumstances she had no choice but to be like very much one way in you know inside of her in a very different way kind of her public mm-hmm. persona and I suppose as two people who work and have worked in schools we can absolutely understand the whole having to maintain a certain level of professionalism you know in public situations mm-hmm. so that may be why we in particular resonated with her yeah yeah there's a quote here that someone put in um on a just there was a question put up various characters had many inner thoughts that they didn't express out loud comment on who stood out to you in this way and someone said joe's social standing can't always say what she wants or how she feels because she is the principal in the community we often have to be really careful of what we say and how we present ourselves to the world when we are teachers have to be extra careful at times in ways that other people don't need to be within their careers should your job dictate how you should behave outside of working hours um, and actually that that leads in kind of nicely to one of our hot topics that we kind of felt came up was that like the judgment or people's assumptions about others. That was a big thread running through this. And actually when I was tabbing the book, you know, I kind of, I don't know how I'm going to tab it until I start reading it. But what I found myself doing was that I tabbed mm-hmm. a different colour each time one of our main characters, our main narrators, made an assumption or a comment about someone else and there was a lot <laughs> so nearly every time we met one of these characters they they said something or thought something about someone else something that 
we may or may not have known to be true, depending on what information we had about them. But you could, you just knew, even by the way it was phrased, that they were assuming or presuming something about this other person. So that was definitely a big, a big part of this book. Which is very interesting because it's true. We only we only see so much, even online, and as you say, like in the school environment, as as students and as parents and adults and stuff, we only get a snippet of people's lives and their experiences, and we can be very quick to make assumptions and judgments. And I know, like I'm very quick to make assumptions and judgments, and kind of put people be like oh my god they have been amazing like they're on this holiday or god she's so good at doing that work or whatever and they might actually really be struggling with different elements of life that we just don't get the opportunity yeah. to observe so it it really shows like how socially we are very quick to to make these assumptions on people and they're usually yeah not accurate or inaccurate would be the right word there Claire <laughs> yeah a lot of the assumptions or the judgments that were being made in this book were about women's issues to a degree um, so like we had you know Laura as being a single mom and a sex worker that both aspects she was very much judged on them and presumptions were made about mm-hmm. her ability to be a good mother and so on uh, Rachel yeah. was questioned or people commented about the fact that she was making money mm-hmm. off of other people's poverty. She left her husband for another woman. Her sexuality was very much in question. Um, and the fact she was quite a powerful person, you know, she made a lot of money. Like, people didn't seem to like her for that reason. No, it was just interesting that Maya um, was someone who was very vocal about the fact that her mother benefited off the the poverty of others she saw it for what yeah. it was in a sense that- yeah like she she said something in it which stuck with me which was where now obviously I, i'm paraphrasing now but something along the lines that instead of telling these people stories for them she should be facilitating them to tell their stories themselves so she's yeah you know she shouldn't be their voice she should be facilitating than people having their own voices, which is a very, very valid point. Yeah, there was a point actually in the book where um, Aaron, I think, walked into the house, um, into her and Rachel's home and said something about a staircase. And it was something along the lines of that would have been the servant's stairwell in oh, a previous yes. kind of yeah. time or whatever. So that kind of gave me a greater impression on just how wealthy this family was. And, you know, just the, the even at times when Maya was like, I'll go to Vienna. Like, I'm going to go there. I, I, that's where I'm going to go study. There wasn't even a question of, yeah. oh, yeah. could that be too expensive? And then for her to be profiting off of the the poverty of others and I think it's interesting as well and I don't know if this is um, something that anybody else picked up on but the school itself seemed to be like a middle to upper class school people that attended seemed to be quite wealthy and you know the PTA were yeah looking for all this money to come in expecting this money to be to be brought in and Laura, for me, really stood out as the absolute opposite of the, of 
thought of class and setting to the rest of these families. And a part of me was wondering like how that happened in it, if that makes sense. Like to me, if you had said it was a fee paying school, I would have gone, oh yeah, that sounds about right based on what we had heard from the different narrators. So I just, I, I found it interesting. She can't afford a babysitter, but she's able to, to send Max or Jake <laughs> to, to the school where everyone's giving these big, massive donations and stuff. Like, so social class definitely came into it as well. You know, like part of the debate or part of the kind of undercurrent that was running through this story was Laura v. Rachel. Um, very much working class on the poverty line, if not below the poverty line, versus someone who has so much money. It's just that there was such a contrast between both of them. And like the social roles then as well, like that Rachel was a doctor, this upstanding member of the community that even though she was very brash and spoke her mind and had no issue like telling people where to go when she felt strongly about something, people still respected her because of her status yeah. in the community. Which is interesting because if you compare that to Joe, then she would not have gotten away with speaking the way that Rachel did. Do you know, she, she, Rachel said things, she said a lot of things actually, a lot of them very funny, but also very like passive aggressive in a way. Yeah. That you'd wonder perhaps the fact that she's not a general practitioner, that she's no longer practicing as a, a GP, that she got away with saying these things to other people because she wasn't anybody's actual doctor, whereas Joe was people's principal. Um, another thing that was a big part of this, just bringing again back to kind of the judgments and the assumptions about others, um, Maya. So obviously Maya was kind of discovering herself. It was, you know, in a way this was kind of a coming of age story for her. And she was trying to navigate this, the divorce with her mm -hmm. parents, them separating, you know, living in different places. Her mother's new relationship with someone of the same sex, plus her having her first boyfriend, her first sexual experiences. Like, so she had a lot, a lot going on in this. And then for her to be, for people to, like the assumptions that they were making about her, we have a quote here that others murmured darkly how everyone at the high school knew Maya Karnick slept with any boy who asked her. You know, and this presumption, just because she was finding herself as a young woman, that, oh, that meant she was easy or was sleeping around. You know, that's, Mm. That's what she was dealing with, as well as all her, you know, the, the going on in her personal and her family life. Yeah. You know, and that's, it's it's too common a theme, yeah. I found her a character that I, as a character, I found her really interesting because she had an awful lot to contend with um, growing up and to, during this kind of coming of age time. Like she walked in on her mother oh. on the kitchen floor. That's something, <laughs> you know, all that the kind cringe. of stuff. Yeah, it, it's really hard. And I think in a way it made me consider like that we grew up in a time. And I know that we mentioned this previously where we didn't have an awful lot of knowledge about LGBTQIA issues. We, you know, things, we had no social media. We 
there was none of this and I think that it kind of gave us just a little bit of an insight into just how complicated it can be now to be a teenager yes. in a modern world yeah. where there are there are loads of complex issues happening at once and you're trying to figure out who you are and where you fit and how you feel about different things and like it's quite it's quite common for teenagers to, to explore their sexuality and to to figure out where they fit into the scheme of things here. I'd say it must be it must have been very difficult for a teenage girl to see that happening with her parent when she yes. had assumed in a way that she was living in a very stable um family life so if there was a bit of tension or whatever she might not have picked up on it and all of a sudden her world has been rocked by not just one issue but yeah. a second one on top of it and it was kind of a like it or lump it thing um, the way that it w- was kind of brought across to me anyway her mom was kind of saying this is just the way that it is she kind of has to get over it which is yeah. absolutely acceptable too because that is part and parcel of it plus it was depicted in a way where we saw that Rachel had put her happiness on hold for so long that she just couldn't, she had to prioritise her own well-being for a while and put herself first. And that is 100% commendable. And there is no rule book for doing these kinds of things either. Like there is no right or wrong way to do something like this because you don't know until you introduce a new relationship or you know, explain your mm. sexuality, you know, if if that's what needs to be done. Like, it's, you don't know what, there, there is no right or wrong way to do any of that. Like, and it, it's what's right or what yeah. feels right for your situation at that particular moment in time. So it's very much yeah. about navigating it, it as it happens, um, which it is was interesting too did. to just look at it um, and consider how it might not be as acceptable for older people and I don't mean older people but as in like people 30s 40s beyond to to come out as gay or bi or anything else when these people would have lived and grown up in an in an age where it still wasn't acceptable to come out and say these things you know they might have felt some kind of social judgment depending on their own personal circumstances and stuff some people don't genuinely realize their orientation or fully understand it until they are a bit older yeah you know that and that is quite common and it takes a lot of maturity to 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 figure yourself out and i think people mature at different ages and stages and this is where we can see that that's happening and given the the knowledge that young people are equipped with now it i think that sometimes they might find it baffling to think that this also applies to other generations apart from their own if that makes any sense because I know of plenty of people that never came out because of the the time they grew up in or you know that they it was the right thing to do to get married and have kids and lead a, a quote unquote acceptable lifestyle um so yeah, that I found that interesting, you know. It yeah no, and it and you see, I suppose even now when we're thinking like as we're discussing this now, I realize how much we took from this, you know, that there, we we actually did get an awful lot from the book in the sense that it did make us think about a lot of different things, which is mm. which was obviously the point. 
even if overall we were like, oh, well, maybe things yeah. were a bit quick for our liking, we still did actually have to think about a lot of different issues in this or were made aware, you know, even in a peripheral kind of way of lots of different things, which is not a bad thing either. Yeah. And perhaps we weren't provided with a load of information so that we could just sit back and kind of go as a general concept. What do we think of this? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's a, that's a very valid point, actually. Yeah. Making you think about it because we only had. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> there we go. Miggle Day will uh, have to watch that. Um <laughs> So I suppose one of the one of the old, kind of the other the the big main issue in the book, especially in the latter part of it, was the sexual assault on Maya. So we are introduced to Luke, Joe's son. He comes back from London, having there had been a bit of a kind of a, you know a, a mix up at work is almost how he presents it to his mom that he mm-hmm. gone home with a girl he vaguely remembered something kind of happening you know they were kissing and there was some touching and then all of a sudden he he knows nothing except that she's accusing him of sexually assaulting her and he has come home because he's been put on on leave from work and like Claire did you think at that point in the story when that's all we knew about Luke did you think it was right did you know did you know how the story was going to pan out in the sense that that aspect of it was going to affect our characters in the story I kind of thought it was just kind of a curveball thrown in for Joe. you know how was she going to deal with that situation I didn't expect at that point that it was going to turn into a worse situation than what it was I thought that there would be more to it than what met the eye there and I think that the reason why I felt that was because he was so flippant about what actually had happened. Like the solicitor's letter came in the door yeah. and only then did he seem to even slightly break out in a, in a sweat. He didn't seem to care yeah. that regardless of how he felt about it, that somebody else had this experience that they felt was a sexual assault or sexual misconduct or misdemeanor yeah. and he was like oh she just got it wrong like god it, it, it seemed to be like they're making this big deal out of nothing and I'm going to be the one that's blamed for it and that's not fair mom do you know poor me kind of a thing yeah. Um. so a part of me was kind of thinking that this will have to go further in order for us to really get an understanding of what he's like. And I just even there when you were saying the sexual assault of Maya, we're kind of after brushing over the fact, even in our own discussion before we started recording, that Laura was actually sexually assaulted by him too. She had photos yes, of herself taken. I was the... Yeah, without her consent, yeah. of herself being tied up and strangled. And obviously, like to her, when she put two and two together and realized who it was she felt guilty because it was as though she had permitted this behavior to escalate despite the fact that she did not consent to it we see a scene in the book where she very adamantly tells an anonymous character who obviously is Luke that she does not want him to to come and see her again and um, because of 
the way that yeah. he has behaved and consequently we we all put two and two together and I don't think we're jumping to any conclusions when we yeah. say it's four and that Luke was the person. Maya found the photos on her phone and yeah. she also upon realisation of it knew that Laura had not consented to this kind of behaviour yeah. regardless of what kind of line of work she was in. That's it. That, it and that, she knew that it was wrong and that it hadn't happened. It's another judgement thing there or a kind of an assumption to a degree that uh, kind of from Laura's point of view like that she was well this is an occupational hazard I thought you know that you know that, that what I'm saying is that that's almost it seems like that's how Laura felt that even though she wasn't happy about mm-hmm. the situation and it was a, a very traumatic situation to be in that oh this is the line of work I'm in and at least now I've told him not to come back so you know hopefully that awful thing won't happen to me again like which is a terrible and mindset. Interestingly to have, enough, like, too, she couldn't really report it. Yeah, yeah. Without she couldn't actually really go about reporting this because she would have brought light onto the fact that she was working as a sex worker. So yeah, there, you know, there's a lot of there's there's a very tangled web there for Laura. I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, her her issues are actually more complex the more we discuss them. It's more than just trying to provide for her child. She's actually, she's knotted up in stuff that she can't necessarily get out of because of the fact that she, yeah. she does this kind of work and she couldn't go to the police because she had left her child at home alone and she knew that if she had said that, that they would have automatically viewed her situation as being one of neglect and then she couldn't go to the police about the the assault because her income and her line of work would have been called into question and like there was just this domino effect for Laura where the odds were kind of stacked against her yeah yeah she and it was just trauma upon trauma upon trauma where it was Mm. all adding they were all adding to each other and as you said she just couldn't get out of any of it without everything falling around falling down around her so it's it's interesting that it wasn't just Maya yeah and you can kind of see then at the end how she just kind of held her hands up and went you take Max like you do what I can't do because I'd say she couldn't see a way out yeah and there was a quote that we had that said uh, Laura says at the end that happiness only happened to other people and that's like there was that moment of hope where she felt she might be able to get out of the situation when she was talking to the social worker and that she might be able to get help and herself and Max but then like almost immediately that bubble burst and she was like no like that I can never have that happiness that other people have yeah. and she felt that way because of her social circumstances and her lack of money and her lack of resources mm. you know which is awful like and I know some people in the chat kind of felt like she gave up too easily but I I, I kind of felt like it was realistic yeah. in the sense I could see why she would automatically default to the negative even though she had done everything up to that point to, to keep Max with her and to keep him safe it had yeah. just gotten to a point where she was like I finally realised that I have to let Drew take him or hope he will take him in order to get things sorted out as much as that must have broken her heart 
So it was a very sad ending for her. Everybody in her society, I suppose, she was probably judged the harshest out of the whole lot. People thought that she wasn't a good enough mother. They looked at the bruises on his body and assumed that she was the one that was hurting him in spite of the fact that she was saying that he throws these tantrums. We live in a really confined space. He hurts himself. They see these tantrums happening out and about and they it's like they in school and we are told about them numerous yeah, so times like. They, like it's not as if it's an unbelievable thing now obviously child protection you have to to look into issues such as bruising and stuff like that but it's as though she just has completely given up yeah. nobody trusts me as a mother i can't even trust myself to look after my son because he went missing i can't even go to the guards for help or the police for help because of my line of work i can't report a sexual assault at work because of the type of work that i'm in it it just seems like she just literally had no choice but to kind of yeah to to hand him over which i can actually just i can't even imagine i'd say it is heartbreaking to have to to come to the conclusion or to feel like whether she was right or wrong that her son was better off outside of her care especially after everything they had been through like that yeah it was a horrible decision to have to make but she did it Mm. so you know yeah I suppose depending on your point of view you're either looking at it as her giving up or her actually having incredible strength to do what needs to be done yeah to to get him back properly and get them get them into a better position yeah and it is it is hard to see where the like his dad who had nothing to do with him for six years is it is, is he six just swoops in and all of a sudden like yeah oh yeah i can't wait to go see daddy and i know that that obviously does happen where i know the, the parent that is seen less often is often put up on a pedestal by a child but yeah just how quickly and I think this comes back again to the pace of the book and how quickly things unraveled um, the, the fact that he wasn't around at all maybe halfway through the book he started making an appearance and by the end he was the sole caregiver yeah. it just it was very very quick but again when you think about it we'll say you know I'm just you know if you think about the school gate like that is we'll say if you were looking at that situation from the mm, outside yeah it is quite possible you would only kind of find out that Max's dad was back in his life and only be aware of him having been around for a short time before yeah. all of a sudden he's in his life fully. You know, that is, like, kind of from an outsider point of view, like, that That can often be the way things happen. You know, you're, you're hardly aware of something happening before. It's like, yeah, whoa, okay, that's the way it is now. So, you know, I, I feel like that that is what this book yeah. is doing. But we are also just happening to see some of her inner thoughts about the situation then as well. Yeah. So. That's true. One of the things that came up in the group chat, which there was a lot of discussion about, was kind of nature versus nurture. You know, I suppose kind of leading on a little bit there from the whole idea of raising a family and so on. Like, how did Joe's son end up the way he did? Because she seems like a very straightforward person, a very honest person when she can be um she seems like a very logical and kind of coherent person and a decent person from what we can tell so how did luke end up being a sexual predator basically that was an interesting conversation definitely the the discussion 
um, kind of came up and it, it centered around the idea of pornography and the consequences that it can have. So there can be unrealistic expectations on both parties as a result of having watched porn. Um, and someone said, porn is how Luke ended up the way he is. Porn and entitlement. Yeah. So, Like the entitlement thing definitely comes across for Luke because is it Joe herself makes a comment early on in the story that like he was basically moving to London expecting people to just like give him a job in TV and that she was like, well, he's going to learn the lesson that that's not how it works, but he needs to learn that lesson for himself because he won't listen to anyone that life isn't as easy as that. Yeah. So like you get you get that impression from him as a character. Well, from what we hear of him as a character quite early on, that he just has this total Yeah. Yeah. Life should fall in my feet mindset. When Laura asks him to stop mm-hmm. visiting her, uh, you know, as a as a client at work, he doesn't seem to really get what the problem is. Like she's obviously very upset after the way he has assaulted her at work. And he, I can't remember what his exact words are, but he's just like, oh, like, what's your problem? Basically, oh, it was just, it was just whatever way he put it, like, oh, the only, it was nothing, like, what, what are you upset about? But obviously at the time, we don't know that that's him. That- we see that same reaction when there's an issue with the girl at work too. So he doesn't seem to believe that he does any wrong, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very hard as, I suppose, as moms to imagine that that's how that's how your child could be, you know, and for Joe to have rang the police mm-hmm. at the end when she realised that, that he had assaulted Maya says a lot. You know, yeah. uh, one of the questions we asked was, were people surprised that Joe had rang the, the police and would you have called the police on your son if you were Joe and one thing that someone said was I wasn't surprised she rang the police as I felt she knew deep down the allegations were true about the first girl Luke was accused of sexually assaulting and that was something she was not going to stand by she was always going to do the right thing mm. it, it, it's a horrendous situation to be in as a parent you know to have to deal with any sort of an allegation against your child yeah. And then to realise that the allegations are true and how, what do you do? Like, how do you react to that situation? Because, like, he he possibly wouldn't have gone to court only for her rigging. Yeah, her rigging. She kind of made the call on that and it's as a result of her calling it in first day is that that's why everything kind of spiralled the way that it did. Yeah. And Rachel, Rachel also made a phone call mm-hmm. at the end. What was your opinion on that? Was Rachel right to call social services on Laura? I don't know. That's a really, really hard question because I think we'll all have our own moral opinion on this. Like the child, I feel, should not have been left unsupervised at night time. That's you know, I just she was automatically making him extremely yeah. vulnerable, particularly given the the nature of his behavior. I feel like any unannounced changes or unexpected changes would have caused 
panic and some form of tantrum or meltdown for Max. And then to put him in this situation where he could any day of the week wake up and find himself home alone. And like, he's only a baby. How is he meant to know what he should do or where he should go? So yeah. that alone, I I would have an issue with with that. Um, he was fine in the end. He was very lucky. He was found by Aaron. He was lucky. He was found when he was found. He was lucky. You know that Aaron found yeah. him and agreed not to say anything, and that Aaron stuck to her word. Like there's a lot of luck after coming into play there. Yeah. Um, she obviously felt that Laura was extremely genuine in her concern and the fact that she wouldn't ring an ambulance. Um, kind of struck Aaron as obviously there's something more to this than what she she knew of. Yeah. He was fine. Do you know, like he was fine afterwards. But at the same token, there was a, a, a good bit of neglect happening there. He didn't get medical attention when he really needed it. Yeah. He wasn't supervised when he should have been. I, I, I don't know. And I, yeah. I would find it hard to make a call. I could change my mind tomorrow. If I gave you one answer today, I could change my yeah. mind tomorrow. Or yeah. not. I, there, it, it's a bit of a moral dilemma, I think, this one. Yeah. What, what, what about also, you? What would you think? Also, was Rachel, was Rachel the person who should have been making the call as well? Do you know what I mean? Like, that's definitely another aspect to it. You know, yeah, had Rachel was... any right in being the person to get involved and decide to be the one to get that ball rolling, you know? Um, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, I agree. Like, it's, it's the kind of topic that you could go back and forth on all day. Like there is like, yes, in a way she should have rang because the child was potentially in danger. But then knowing what we know of Laura, there is more nuance to it than just a yes or no, potentially. Um, Like when we asked people who'd read the book on our Instagram stories, was she right to make the phone call at the end? 54% of people said yes. 15% 15% said no, and 31% said can't decide. And I'm pretty sure that adds up to 100. I'm just looking now. It does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like this is where this book kind of shines in the sense that there's a lot of grey areas and a lot of blurry lines yeah. here. Like where do you, yeah. where is it, when is it okay to impose yourself upon someone else's sexuality, beliefs, and uh, parenting? When is it okay yeah. to step over a line and you know cross a line potentially in order to try and help someone else whether they want that help or not it there's a lot of kind of I think just gray areas in this which is why it's worth discussing and and when you only have a certain amount of the information yes yeah can you really involve yourself in other people's situations? Like, yeah. But you, know, you see, we can see that happening no, too. Both no ways. one knows everything about anyone else. Because Rachel is very, like, everyone's imposing themselves upon Rachel and Aaron's relationship and calling her out and judging her and starting this whole campaign in school about not having LGBTQIA yeah. plus education. So then Rachel does the same thing and imposes herself on Laura's parenting issues so like it's tit for tat across the board and I wonder does this come in in a way to kind of resemble that kind of bickering that the schoolgirl bickering 
that happens in a school yeah. environment yeah, where it's a whole thing, yeah. things are getting petty Do you know like I'm going to tell on you because you told on me I'm going to do this to you because you did that to me there's a lot of that kind of a feel to this as well so while on surface level we're seeing things one way when you dig a bit deeper you can see that there's a lot more to to these issues than what we originally anticipated even before we sat down and pressed record here we didn't have these thoughts on things at all yeah, yeah. only as we're kind of parsing them out now that they're yeah they're coming out so yeah. so anyway this was a very good book book to pick because there has been a lot to discuss yeah. and <laughs> plenty to say about it and plenty to think about so there you go yeah um the only thing that we didn't really talk about was the discrimination um, and the questioning of the LGBTQ um, education curriculum, that that was such a big deal in it, that the PTA were absolutely determined not to have their children educated about something that is extremely important. Um, and as someone said in the chats, would a PTA be allowed to form an anti-LGBTQIA plus committee? Surely you wouldn't get away with such bigotry. And that yeah. is very interesting, I think, because how much weight can a PTA actually have? And this made me think of the recent um, stuff that's been up in the news about the Irish education system and that p- parents are now going to be able to opt their children out of sex education. Um, yeah. So that, that to me was, was interesting. Yeah. Um, where, where are you doing your child a disservice by doing this? That's the question that I would, I would put out there. I think in general, the, the consensus was that I don't think people agreed with Laura's stance as in people who were reading the book. I don't think anyone necessarily agreed with that stance, but that the book was making the point that there are people who can feel this way and can be very problematic in relation to situations like this, even if the majority of people don't feel that way and can't understand why they feel that way. There are people in society who feel like this, unfortunately. So it just depends on how much power they have in society and how vocal they are. Yeah. How far they get. So the last thing that we kind of did was we invited um people to consider who they would sit down and have a cup of tea with and what kind of a conversation that they would like to have with the person that they chose. So we got a good couple of interesting comments. Um, I'd say nearly every character was kind of called upon as a potential mentioned yeah and yeah. um, we did get a voice note in so thank you very much to marianne hi girls sending you a voice note um i couldn't find it on the link tree so i'm sending it via dm here and hopefully that's okay um just re who i'd like to sit down and have a cup of tea with uh, answered in the dms about how i'd like to sit down with maya um i think she's a young girl that has really distorted messaging around sex and what's healthy in relationships and um as um as much as her mum has particular views very feminist views and so on and so forth and i think they're right i think she's also got um very mixed up with some of that messaging and I'd love to um, sit down have a cup of tea with her and try and help her to untangle some of that. Um, I think she's also kind of mixed up um, you know there's a bit of a difference between using your sexuality to um, get what you want and actually using your sexuality within a healthy relationship and, and that's some of the stuff that I'd like to unpick with her. Um, 
The other person that I'd really like to sit down with the more that I think about this is actually Laura. Um, again, it, it kind of I do feel it's kind of hard to comment on some of this stuff because I do. I've said in some of my messages already that as much as I enjoyed the book, I do also think that the author was trying to make a lot of points um, and get her own opinions across um, by using the characters. Um, so then it's kind of like, um, I almost sort of feel like it's not really the character's fault. <laughs> so I don't really need to sit down with them with a cup of tea. I actually need to sit down with the author instead, if that kind of makes sense. But um, all that aside, I probably would like to sit down with Laura because Laura is Laura's a bit of a complex character. Laura is really caught up in... Um, She's really caught up in victim mode. You know, things have been tough for her, but she's really, really focused on the negativity and, and the injustice in the world. Um, and she's really lost her, her sense of personal responsibility and, um, you know, that, that whole personal responsibility around how to move forward. Um, you know, bad things happen to people and how do you move forward? And instead of her looking at that, she's just, I suppose, concentrating on, well, such and such has this and such and such has that and I don't have that, but actually she's not doing anything to affect change so I'd kind of like to sit down with Laura and uh, you know she maybe hasn't had anybody reach out and do this with her because she hasn't shared her issues so using empathy and compassion and understanding to challenge some of her thinking um, and to try and if you even were to look at the change cycle um, and how people get stuck in, in certain places as she is um, trying to help her to move forward trying to help her to see you know that actually there is a different way for her to be living um, and um, yeah just I suppose maybe actually being a good decent friend and helping her to see that she doesn't have to just give all, up all sense of hope I mean I don't think that uh, the wee man would have been taken away and plunked with the dad I mean that that is so far removed from reality like I can't I don't even feel I can comment on it it just wouldn't happen that way in real life but there is a sense that Laura has just given up and thinks that there's no other option for her and I'd like her to see that actually there is that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? It does. Like, I think it's interesting that Mar that Marianne has also, and not just Marianne, because I know that loads of people would agree that Laura was a very, very complicated character to be thrown into this mix. She could have had a book all by herself, yeah. really. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, she was so different to the other characters. She was in such contrasting situation from a very different background in a very different circumstance. So yeah, she she was there was a lot a lot of layers to Laura, and like I was saying to you before we recorded, like with Laura especially, I felt it was a case where two things can be true at once or multiple things can be true. Like you could mm. feel very strongly against yeah. her homophobia while feeling very sad yeah. for her situation, feeling very upset with her leaving Max on his own while also yeah. understanding her need to provide for her child and in her eyes the only way she was capable of doing that was this particular job so one doesn't cancel the other out they can yeah. all be true at the same time but it doesn't make you know commenting on her any easier because there's a lot a lot going on that's a great way to kind of finish up, I think. That one. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think that's our discussion on other parents. Benito. 
Um, so at this point, we can do our jingle before we announce our March book. So our book for March is The Colour of B. Larkin's Murder. So the blurb for this book is as follows. How do you solve a mystery when you can't remember the clues? There are three things you need to know about Jasper. One, he sees the world completely differently. Two, he can't recognise faces, not even his own. Three, he is the only witness to the murder of his neighbour, B. Larkin. But it's hard to catch a murderer when you can't recognise their face. An extraordinary and compelling debut, which will make you see the world in a way you've never seen it before. It is a book I have, I'm pretty sure, on my Kindle, and I haven't read it. So I am vaguely aware of what the story is about, but I don't know very much about it. I have a lot of interest in um, neurodivergency, and this stands out to me as an area of neurodivergency that we may not be very familiar with. I find it absolutely intriguing that people experience the world in such a distinct way and that there's so little knowledge around their experiences. I would find anyway, I, I wouldn't be very familiar with synesthesia. No, I, I know, again, I kind of know of it, but it's not something I know a lot about. I know, I, I know in general what it is. You you think in colours or you see things in colours. And it's more than just colours. I think it's all your senses, isn't it? That you you experience things, you associate different things with. It could be it could be seeing colours, it could be tastes, um, certain smells. I think it's all of oh, the senses. I did not know that. Yeah, as far as I'm aware. Okay. Yeah, it sounds great. And as usual, we have tried to make it as accessible as possible. So this is available on Borrowbox, on ebook. It is on Libby, ebook and audiobook. It's on Scribd as an audiobook. It's on Audible. It's on the Kindle. You can buy it in online, I presume. I'm not sure if you'd still be able to pick it up in a shop because it is a 2017 book. Is that right, Claire? 2018, yeah. 2018 okay yeah so it's it may not be on the shelves in your small local bookshop but i presume any bookshops would order it in no problem anyway you could order it online order it online exactly so as a bonus for the end of this episode we are also going to announce our april book because we are going with Catherine walsh's the matchmaker um, the reason why we kind of felt so strongly about telling you in advance is so that you can pre-order it because we know from some of our favourite authors and authors we follow on Instagram talking about pre-orders and the importance of it, it actually means of a massive amount to authors and their publishers and their distributors for pre-orders to come in because obviously it's a really good sign if people are pre-ordering the book well in advance or even a little bit in advance of the release date and because Catherine Walsh is someone we have spoken to and we are both fans of her books we really would like to support her newest one we hope um, that you will join us in reading both our March and our April books so Claire when are we aiming to have the March book read by? Okay let me do a quick look at a calendar here so if we are aiming for it to be released on the 28th then we would be asking people to have the book finished 
or read by the 24th of March. So the week of the 20th, we will have a reading schedule put up ASAP for everybody. And we will be reading along on the week of the 20th of March. So if you want to join us, you are more than welcome to. Um, And then the chats, the polls and the question boxes will be up and running that weekend. Fabulous. So I think I think that's it. Are we done for another chapter? Absolutely. Yeah. Shine. Shine. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of Another Chapter Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, like and share to keep the book conversation going. Thank you to Helen Becerra for the graphics, Mark Neville for the mixing and to each of our contributors. Music is Make It Work by All Good Folks. Don't forget to follow along on Instagram at Another Chapter Podcast. We'll see you there.